All right, good morning, everybody. Today on Eternal Leadership Podcast, I have one of my good friends, mentors, uh, just an all-around amazing human being, Patrick Patty McBain. Patty, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, John. It's good to be on the call. Thank you so much. Uh, Patty, you have such an amazing background in history, and you know um, you've been one of my mentors as I've you know done more and more in coaching and work with the military. And uh, I, I just wanted to share one of the things that um, that we all need to get better at is communication. And um, I was, you know, Patrick, I'm sure you see this with with teams you work with all the time. Uh, and I had a couple teams that just man. They were just really, uh, really struggling with getting good communication down. And I called Patty and I said, man, I would love your thoughts and your insight on how I can coach and train this group better. And Patty kind of shared some things and helped me get better. Man, it was so powerful, Patty. Thank you. And here's what we're going to talk about today is actually how do we actually communicate better? What are some pr- actionable steps that you can take for yourself to improve that? Some foundational things. Uh, so I think uh, this is going to be a one, uh, one you might want to go back, uh, take some notes, definitely share with a friend. But hey, before we get started, uh, Patty, I'd love for you to just to share a little bit just about kind of your background, your journey, just let the audience get to know you a little bit. Sure, sure. Thanks. Um, so... Uh, uh, Quick uh, overview, background about who I am. I was uh, born in Northeast Ohio, um, relatively large family, six kids. I was number five in the rotation, two boys, two girls, uh, another two boys. And so uh, our household was full and frantic, fun and uh, dysfunctional. (laughs) (laughs) Normally dysfunctional? Uh, I don't know if it was uh, nowadays you hear our story and you go, man, that sounds like a lot of other people's stories. So it wasn't that uh, far off the grid, but um, uh, it it was challenging for me as a as a young person and it became a shaper for me. So I include that when people ask about my background, um, alcoholic father and uh, parents who um, had marriage conflict but stayed married. So conflict was something that happened around us almost all the time. It was just uh, crazy to see how my parents would interact over difficult situations or challenging situations or unmet expectations or whatever it might be. And so I grew up in that environment and, um, you know, uh, it was challenging for me uh, because I didn't know how to navigate it as a young guy. And really didn't have a mentor or a father figure in the sense that he spent time uh, helping me figure it all out. So uh, it was a trial by fire, trial by error um, uh, experience and growth. And unfortunately, I made, uh, or fortunately, uh, made a lot of mistakes along the way and uh, found myself, especially around the identity piece, uh, groping and uh, trying to figure out who I was. Uh, mm-hmm. along the way. So that became a big part of my story. Um, I struggled academically um, and really never hit the mark there. But socially, I was uh, like a man on fire. I mean, it was like uh, as poor as I was academically, uh, as angry as I could get um, and emotionally as I could get 
on other levels, I was a popular guy. And so it was a really interesting, um, you know, way to go through my early years, my formative years. And, um, but it, it played a significant role. Uh, I came out of, uh, those early years, uh, with one singular goal and that was to become a nightclub singer. And so I went off to Youngstown no. State. Wait, wait, wait. seriously? I did. I did not know that. That's yeah. That, that was it. That was the singular goal. And so I had no. I, it was Plan A, and there was no Plan B. Were you going to go with velour, or were you going to go with uh, like more bedazzled look? Yeah, no, totally the velour. You know. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> man. That's awesome. Uh, Frank Sinatra. Yeah, that yeah. whole thing. So. Um, Anyhow, I went off to Youngstown State University. They have a very strong music school. And uh, when it entered into the music school, long story short, that's where I met Leslie. And uh, we met, uh, fell in love, and uh, my world just absolutely changed in a crazy good way, but also in a way that was... uh, I wasn't prepared for uh, from a maturity standpoint. So I brought my stuff into our relationship. Uh, anyhow, she got pregnant um, during our dating time, and my little world came crashing in on me. This utopia uh, bubble that I was you know, floating around in uh, burst, and I had to figure out how I was going to handle things. So, how, how old uh, were you, Patty? 19 years old. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, 19 years old. And so we got married legally in her pastor's study and then did a public ceremony with our family and friends uh, about four or five weeks later. And it was the during the time in between the legal marriage in her pastor's study and the public ceremony that I actually um, was led to the Lord by her pastor. So that was my encounter uh, with Jesus, which for me is a life-changing part of my story. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, uh, I found myself trying to figure out what was going to happen, how I was going to, you know, navigate this trouble in my life. And, uh, uh, this guy, you know, asked me a, a very pointed question, a communication question. And he said, Patrick, if you were to die tonight, do you have any idea what would happen to you? And I looked at him and I said, yeah, I'd go straight to hell. And uh, he looked at me and he said, would you like to change that? And I I started laughing at him. I said, man, you can't change this. I said, too much damage done, too much water under the bridge. And and he looked at me. He said, you're right. He said, I can't change anything. But I know someone who has and who wants to be in a relationship with you. And, And so that night he talked to me about what it would look like to be in a relationship with Jesus. And for me, that is a game changer. I'm sure you've got audience members that uh, may not believe that something like that's relevant. But for me, it became significantly relevant and a shaper from that time forward, even to this day. So a uh, big part of my my story. Um, I uh, Wow, thanks for uh, sharing that. Uh, yeah, that, sure. that, that's Man, that's powerful because you know, as I've seen you just walk out, uh, you know, what you do, you know, a lot of the, you know, topics we have on the, the podcast are about how do we kind of bring our faith out into our lives, into the workplace and the marketplace. And I, I see everything is just so integrated and you're one of the 
the few people that has done this so well. I I, I really uh, think this whole concept of the secular and the sacred is is a false notion that sometimes mm, we fall yeah. for, right? And you have just brought the the fullness of who you are as you've kind of worked on this identity in Christ into what you do. And I think it, I uh, well, I don't think I. I, I am certain that that is why you are so effective working with maybe a traditional company, not a not a faith based type organization, but you're bringing you know who you are, your principles, your values um, into these situations that you know what when the truth is applied, man, you know God's truth is truth, and, right? And, right, and when we apply it, all of a sudden we get these results, and that for a lot of people, especially in the marketplace, opens the door to a conversation like you had, you know, with your pastor under a different situation. Mm, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I'll, I'll connect the dots with how you use the term sacred and secular. Um, so there were several things associated with my uh, early years. We uh, lived in India for three years um, from 84 through 87. Uh, those were challenging, but significantly uh, shaper years in the sense that from a marriage standpoint, uh, there was a lot of things that took place that allowed Leslie and I to really formulate uh, what we have now in terms of a 36 plus year uh, success story in terms of marriage. And trust me, it was challenged on every conceivable level. Um, come back from India in 87, back to the U.S. and started to work in retail management and um, uh, found myself uh, just operating out of instinct, uh, building relationship. Um, not knowing a lot about management process, but really um, taking everything from a foundational relationship standpoint. And uh, it proved to be enough to make me extremely successful in this family-owned and operated uh, company and uh, had a 10-year run with them. And uh, it was it was really amazing what happened over that time period. Well, I left out of the retail management sector and went into a vocational ministry stint from the end of 96 through uh, the end of 2000. Um, and during that time, uh, found some things out that I never knew. Like, I never knew that uh, the spiritual uh, faith community, the Christian community, both parachurch and church were uh, so challenged in terms of how they uh, operated. And um, in I hate to use that the, this word again, but dysfunctional. Uh, truly, it was um, uh, interesting to see the insecurity of those who called themselves Christ followers in even that specific arena, where they they should be extremely comfortable, right? Um, and then exit back out of that, back into. Uh, the business sector, working for a technology distributor. And it was there, John, that um, I began to get the vision for my organization, Marketplace Solutions, um, because I realized that there are individuals who have a strong faith. They call themselves Christ followers, but they're really awkward when it comes to expressing their faith and uh, living it out in a, a a daily context in a nine to five window context, for instance. And uh, when I saw that, I, I was troubled and I said to myself, this should not be the case. Uh, we should be the most confident. 
We should be the most loving. We should be the most uh, uh, secure, <laughs> the most peaceful, but we're not. And uh, I said, I, I got to help serve that and fix that. And so uh, hence, I launched my nonprofit organization, Marketplace Solutions, in January of 2006, um, focused on three primary areas to equip, to connect, and to mobilize. And it was focused on especially Christians who um, knew what to do probably in many ways, but didn't know how to do it. And um, it was uh, a pretty scary scenario. Anytime it's, it was entrepreneurial. So hey, anytime you launch your own business or your own uh, endeavor, you know, you're, you're being stretched. Yeah, no and, doubt. I, and I was, I was definitely being stretched during those years. But what was amazing is to see how things began to come together in a pretty quick fashion. One, um, I met our mutual friend and mentor, uh, Ford Taylor, in Argentina, of all places, in November of 2007. And uh, we sat across the dinner table from each other at this international conference. And um, after dinner, we took a three and a half hour walk. And I realized then that, okay, this guy is special, and uh, this is more than just uh, meeting someone by hap happenstance. So uh, I then went through transformational leadership training in February of 2008 for the first time and found it to be remarkably impactful and, quite frankly, life-changing. And... A lot of people, when you use those words, life-changing, they're like, seriously, are you sure? Uh, uh, but you uh, are also a, a beneficiary of this training, so you can chime in as well. But for me, I found the tools to be uh, so practical uh, and so easy to integrate into what I was al already doing that I knew they would become a benefit and a blessing to others. And so I've been hanging out with these guys for the last uh, 10 plus years and I'm now heading up their global initiatives for uh, TL and FSH strategy consultants. Uh, I've integrated transformational leadership into uh, the primary deliverable that I bring to the table with Marketplace Solutions. And um, I now have a, a consulting coaching uh, practice called Life Needs Leadership uh, that allows me to engage with uh, uh, Fortune uh, 500 companies um, locally here in the Columbus, Ohio area. Better yeah, and than I, and, I, and, I, and I, yeah. I would I would echo that everything that you're saying. Ford has absolutely been transformational, uh, which I love the definition of that right a permanent change, like you talked about, right for the better. And we've incorporated everything that we're doing with the military. And I, I'd love for you to kind of bring this into, um, you know, you talked about some of the tools and everybody out there. Um, what's your website? How do people find you, Patrick? Yeah, so probably the best way to find me from a, you know, let's connect one-on-one, -on -one. LinkedIn is the best way. Patrick McBain uh, is uh, the, the handle on LinkedIn, um, and you'll, you'll be able to connect there. From a website standpoint, my website is uh, www, the number four, 
marketplacesolutions.org. And that's, uh, that's the nonprofit. And then under uh, the transformational leadership heading, uh, transformlead.com. Awesome. And I would really encourage people to go to Transform Lead, get more information. You can also look at uh, uh, Transformational Leadership online at tlondemand.com. Um, mm-hmm. But now, as we're, hey, now as, as we kind of dive into communication, um, mm-hmm. you know, and you talked about before uh, Christians in the marketplace, they feel awkward, uh, yeah. but, but, but they should be the most secure confident, peaceful, because I believe that we are called to have excellence in everything that we do, especially in the marketplace, because that's actually what gives us the opportunity to truly have influence in that mm. sphere, right? That is the standard kind of in that where. But what, what do you think um, is some of the biggest constraints behind good communication? Yeah. So I think some of the bigger constraints, number one, is the issue with vulnerability. Mm. Um, uh, the, the issue with vulnerability is, you know, we all wear this sort of shell. Um, you know, in TL, we talk about the ideal self versus the real self. And uh, the gap that's between those two, you know, the ideal self is the one we put out to everybody. It's the one that uh, we want. Hey, I want you all to see me as this great guy. Uh, but uh, most of you don't know that uh, I've had significant anger issues, so much so that the anger issues actually got me suspended from a professional position for three months in my history. Well, most of us don't lead with that, but that's my story. That My anger was such a critical part of who I was that it actually almost derailed my ability to to go forward. Well, if, if anything, the exposure of the stuff is what creates the path for the improvement and, and for the change. And it's our inability to be vulnerable that often keeps us stuck and keeps us in these places that we feel like, ah, oh, just nothing changes for me, man. This is, this is crazy how this n- never works, right? And um, so because of that, uh, I think vulnerability has to be high on our list. And one of the areas that we um, get comfortable being uncomfortable with that part of, you know, sharing our story in a way that allows people to see us. When somebody comes up and asks you, they're a leader, right? They're they're running a team. They have people around them. They're trying to build their, you know, their trust, their credibility, their, you know, their whatever it is. And they ask you, man, you know, Patty, how vulnerable do I need to be to actually lead my team? Because a lot of people are very uncomfortable actually sharing some of that stuff that might, you know, others might perceive as maybe you're you're weak or you're not good or you're not competent right where where people are very cognizant of that and i think the answer might be a little counterintuitive for people yes uh, i i totally counterintuitive how vulnerable do we get uh, question is how vulnerable can you get 
And, you know, there's limits for all of us, uh, depending on who we are and our backgrounds and even the roles and the relationships that we currently have. And you've, you've got to evaluate that. I'm not going to tell you to go out there and just sort of uh, open up, uh, you know, the kimono and go, hey, look at me, you know, walk into the office on Monday and just sort of go to a place where you never did. But I think you incrementally move towards it. And when it's uncomfortable, you have to ask yourself, why am I uncomfortable? Okay. Is this about fear, guilt, or shame? Or is this because I know this is just an area I'm unfamiliar with? And it's when we get familiar with the vulnerability that it becomes more, it it becomes a little easier. Um, And... It's in that sharing that uh, we can start to see some things that make us common to everyone. And if you're a CEO, if you're a business owner and you've got people who are looking up to you, I'm telling you, your credibility is actually going to increase exponentially when you put yourself out there and say, hey, can I tell you a little bit about my story and where I failed and what I learned from that failure? Uh, all of a sudden, you go from being on this pedestal to actually uh, on a level, uh, you know, sort of playing field. And that's what's going to build trust. And that's what's going to create productivity and increase that cohesiveness that everybody talks about and wants every single day. Yeah, you know, uh, let me share a little story on that, too. I was working with a, a client of mine, a very controlling person. Every decision had to go through them, but the weight of actually putting themselves in that position in the company was just oppressive, as you can imagine, right? Um, and, and also that had created this codependency or dependency on everybody there. Uh, and also because of this very controlling nature, some anger issues, people were very uncomfortable giving any kind of feedback to this person. And as we worked together, we, we talked about this concept and I said, what, what, what would be the downside if you just shared with your whole team how you were feeling, the weight, the oppressiveness, the panic, the anxiety sometimes, that you have to make every decision and everybody is looking for you for the answer constantly. Um, this was a very challenging hurdle for them, but they actually had that conversation with their team. It turned into a two-hour meeting where everybody started opening up and sharing in that conversation was the inflection point where this entire organization, man, went to a different place. I mean, a way it's a different organization today than a year ago. And it started out with one person having the courage to be a little bit vulnerable about something that clearly, guess what? Everybody else already knew. (laughs) Right? Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Well, the the other area, John, that uh, fits into this communication conversation is that we don't um, clearly set or identify or communicate expectations. Mm. And expectations to me are internal in their orientation. So all of us have expectations around what we want, what we hope to get, um, what we... Uh, you know, have maybe even prepared for, you know, so we talk about this in uh, TAL that 
when it comes to the change dynamics, um, expect the expect the unexpected. Right? This is going to happen, and then know what to expect. Well, sometimes it's the know what to expect is the thing that leaders often overlook, in my opinion, which is to actually have conversations around stuff that you th- assume is already known, right? Oh, everybody knows what appropriate communication looks like. Why are we wasting time on this? And yet when the expectations unmet and it creates this layer of poor communication, uh, that's when the conflict usually arises. Yeah, and don't you think that a lot of bad communication uh, really revolves, I think, around unresolved conflict, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and people not knowing how to actually maybe even have a conversation. Like if if you communicate poorly to me and all of a sudden I feel like this, you know, wounded avoider, right? Well, what? Or you don't appreciate me or I did all this hard work and you were just like, whatever. It's kind of how I took it, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and now that just lays there dormant. It, now it becomes this little wedge that over time grows to actually um, become toxic. Uh, that leads to gossip. It leads to all kinds of things that, are, that can destroy an organization. And one of the, I think one of the, one of the most powerful, well, not most powerful, but a very powerful tool inside of TL is the social covenant. And this is something I do with every single one of my teams. And I love for you to share this and anybody listening out there if you can just do these simple sound simple but these two steps that that patty's going to teach you here man you you can immediately start moving from expectation to understanding in agreement and that that is i think one of the the first steps that we we need to take right yeah so the social covenant's a simple process but it's not an easy process what i found when i started to interact with uh, uh corporate teams and implement this was that this is almost like teaching them a foreign language. Uh, There are HR rules and regulations that a new employee is exposed to and then signs off on. But again, nobody actually talks about it from a team conversation. And the two questions that we use to create the conversation are, number one, when we're together, how do we want to treat each other? So that simple question, um, we now put on the table what what we expect, what we want. And, you know, what's interesting is I get to do this around the globe. I've been on the African continent in multiple countries like Rwanda, Kenya, Uganda, Nigeria, uh, to the Philippines. And um, I've done this exercise with individuals there. And amazingly enough, John – there is a universal expectation around how people want to be treated. It's the same. I, it's, it's amazing. We all know what we want. And, and when you get people to actually talk about it and then think about it openly, uh, it is incredible what that does to create a common ground and a place of connection. So, so that's the, what advice would you give to people? Somebody listening to this right now go, well, that's interesting. What would that look mm-hmm. like? Let's say next week they're listening to this. They're going in. They're the ones leading a team meeting. Um, how would they? How would they bring that into you know a context and and actually kind of 
you know, pull this out from their team, how they want to be treated? What would that look like? Yeah. So one of the things I love to do is create what if almost like visionary type questions. So, hey, hey, guys, if if we could improve uh, the the communication and the uh, cohesiveness on this team is is that something that you guys would would put a little effort into if we had some dialogue around it so it's it's almost it's i'd be shocked if they said someone said uh no no man wasted time you know <laughs> so you create the if you will the the connecting point of uh, expectation that says, yeah, yeah, we want that. Um, so let's let's just lay the ground with this question. Let's just forget yesterday, forget the stuff that's happened historically. We're going to sort of strike a, a, a fresh slate and we're going to start from today forward. All right. So from today forward, how do we want to treat each other? Let's reset the expectation and start to look at what we want from a desirable position. Respect, accountability, patience. Boom, they start to reel off all of the things that they want in terms of how to treat one another. And then you ask them, great, these are awesome, by the way, you guys. Thank you for putting these on the table. Is there any of these that anyone here, as we look at this board that we've created in terms of how we want to treat each other. Is there any of these that someone is completely uncomfortable with and wants to take off the board? And if they are, guess what? Take it off the board. Not a big deal. All right. If it's unclear, what's that mean? I'm not sure what that means, right? Uh, whatever it is. And then maybe from a standpoint of, is there anything that's not on this list that we should add? And give them that opportunity. And then when they look at it and go, so guys, what do you think? Is this something that collectively we would sort of create some accountability around and say, yeah, we are actually going to hold ourselves accountable to this. And then you say, how do you think we ought to do that? Because I don't know about you all, but as a CEO, as the owner here, <laughs> I'm not perfect. So I'm just going to put my hand up straight away and tell you, I'm probably going to be the first one to violate this agreement. So question number two is based around that. What are we going to do when someone fails the agreement or violates the agreement or the expectation that we just created? And John, that's the question that most teams don't have. Uh, they may talk about the, the, the good stuff around how we want to treat each other, but they don't actually walk through uh, a thought out process of, so what could we do internally to address, you know, a breach? And, yeah, if and a you breach can, could be like if we have a name up there on the list, right? Trust, accountability, we want to have fun, right? Uh, integrity. You can imagine some of the words up there, but what if, what if I feel that, hey, you weren't accountable in this, all right? right. You said that you would do something, and I felt like, man, my, my trust just slipped because of just something... Um, uh, you saw me do or vice versa, right? That, that is where things kind of fall down because like we were talking about, if we don't have a process to then go have that conversation, now that issue, then, 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 then things get worse. Right. Yeah. The issue exacerbates. Typically I, 
I would tend to talk uh, to someone else about you and the issue as opposed to go to you. And so our process is pretty simple. Go to the person and go to them in a way that will allow you to work through things with a um, an expectation that is good, favorable, that I'm for you, even in coming to you uh, with this you know, challenging issue around trust or whatever it may be. And, you know, we, we often talk about going in humility, uh, going uh, in care or love, going in pre-forgiveness, meaning, hey, I've forgiven you before you've even responded to me saying, hey, John, can, can I share something with you? Whether you respond favorably or not, the forgiveness quotient is on the table. I, I'm not going to hold you in some unrealistic uh, position because the only the only person that's going to hurt is me going forward and then the uh, the fourth position is you know with a hundred percent of the truth the ability to say I'm going to share my heart how I felt why this is important to me and put it on the table and try not to hold anything back chances are even when I share like that with you I'm not going to have all of the facts. So I'm probably going to hear something from you that's going to create some clarity and help me build a stronger relationship. Because if the goal, John, is not to get back to that desirable way of favorable way, good way of how we want to treat each other, how we said, wow, wouldn't this be the ultimate team? If we treated each other this way and we all looked at it and said, heck yeah, I'd love to be on a team like that, right? So if that's not your goal to get back to that, then that means you have some internal things you better work through before you approach the individual. It, yeah. may, be more, it may be more about you than it is about what they, quote, did or didn't do to you. So. Yeah, now, now, Sandra, I know you have worked with so many teams, both as the C-suite, uh, smaller companies, uh, as a consultant, as a coach. How often do you see, you know, what, what, what Patty was just talking about, how often have you seen, you know, uh, what we just talked about, you know, be a really powerful tool to really change, you know, the results an organization's trying to get? A hundred percent of the time, for sure. And in fact, uh, you know, if you're in a relationship with another human being, you're <laughs> going to have this come up a hundred percent of the time. I mean, when he was talking, I couldn't help but think about parenting, right? Mm -hmm. So often we just assume that our children know what we want them to do and what our expectations are. And not until they don't meet them, do we actually tell them what we expect, um, you know, or... They know what we expect, but we don't have an agreed upon consequence. So when something goes wrong, then we're kind of scrambling. Well, you're going to lose this and lose this. Where if we could communicate all that stuff up front as a parent, how powerful would that be? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Sandra, uh, a friend of mine, my colleague here in Columbus, actually is a uh, baseball coach of his uh, 10 year old son, 11 year old son, excuse me, uh, his baseball team. And so they actually implemented this on the baseball team. It was amazing. They took the last 15 minutes of the baseball practice and they called it character development. And they made the parents stick around during the character development conversation. 
So they introduced the social covenant uh, as part of their very first thing that they did. And so they asked the, the young people, look, guys, we're going, we got a full baseball season in front of us. Uh, let's set some appropriate expectation. How do we want to treat each other during this season? Well, the young people came up with about seven or eight things that they thought were really important. And they, they say, great. So then my, my friend Matt asked to ask him another question. How do, how do we want to treat the coaches? And the kid said, we need to treat the coaches the same way. Great. Then he asked him a, a tougher question. What about our opponents? How, what do we want to do there? And it was a, like silence. And then the biggest kid on the team goes, we should treat them the same way too. Yeah. <laughs> so then he asked him the fourth layer. He said, well, what about the umpires? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So and the kid said, yeah, let's do them too. And, and so he said, no, we're not just going to do that with the umpires that way, but we're actually going to go above and beyond with the umpires. After every game, we're going to walk up to them and we're going to affirm them. We're, gonna, we're actually going to shake hands, look them in the eye and say, thank you for uh, umping or refereeing such a great game today. And so even if they're really bad, even if they're really bad. (laughs) And well, so their team has become the standard now uh, in the, in the league and the, and the other coaches are going, okay, can you come over and and do that thing? You do that social thing with, (laughs) with our team. (laughs) <laughs> so now- I believe it. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, absolutely. <laughs> you know, the other thing I'm sitting here thinking of when you're talking is if you were a single person. So, you know, I didn't get married till I was 36. So I was single for a lot of years. And had I had this knowledge tucked in my belt as a single person, I would have been a powerhouse dater. Mm-hmm. Because if you can go into every date with these, you know, tenants, imagine how powerful that would be and how attractive that would be to another person that you're just meeting and getting to know. Yeah. And I talk, I talk about it this way, Sandra. Um, if you have like this, this new knowledge and the person across from you doesn't, uh, here's how you do it. You basically ask them a question that puts you in the position of being the most responsible. And here's how you do it. Date night. We're dating. First first night. Hey, you know what? I'm not sure how this is going to go, but can you tell me what you want out of this and how you want me to treat you during our time, even if it's just these two hours together? All right. It can happen in a business relationship. You've got a new business partner or customer say, you know what? This is just something I do. I put it on the table because trust me, we're going to have something come up over the course of our engagement that may create some tension. And I want us to be able to talk freely about it. So during our time, how do you want me to treat you? So when they put that on the table, maybe three or four things, right? Then ask them one more question. Can I ask you to treat me that same way? Mm. Boom. Yeah. Boom. There it is. And so now, as the mature one, and this is for me really where leaders need to intentionally start leading, is like, okay, let's just start doing it and stop waiting for everybody else to get their act together. Let's help them get their act together. 
by essentially showing them what it looks like to go first. I'm going to be, be held accountable in the highest regard first, and then we'll connect further. You know, that's so true because who said great communication has to be reciprocated, right? I could just keep doing it even if it's not being returned. Right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I definitely see that in my marriage. You know, my husband tells me I'm an over-communicator, and he's not. Um, and so I sometimes can feel myself starting to sort of shut down and not communicate at my normal level because mm -hmm. he's not reciprocating, right? And any time that happens, it starts going down the tubes really quickly. Yeah. Another way to do this, uh, and, and John, this goes out of how you started the uh, – uh, podcast today uh, where you use the communication standard questions uh, to connect the team you've been working with. Well, essentially, you lay out, you, you go about this from rather than saying, uh, how do we want to treat each other? You put a, a similar type of question. So what does effective good communication to you look like? What does effective good communication from you look like? And actually create a conversation around it. What does effective good communication between us look like? Are there some things we need to do that we're not doing? And then when you think of you and your husband as a collective unit, what does effective good communication from us to others look like. And I think if you can begin to have the conversation, <laughs> the, communi the communication conversation, um, it's amazing what will shift in terms of what, whether it's productivity, profitability, healthier relationships, all of a sudden the improvement in all of these areas, whatever your emphasis point may be, starts to happen. You know, uh, Patty, I loved how, you, you know, you talked about it, you know, with the baseball team is like the 15 minutes of, you know, character development. And you know what? In a business meeting, it's so easy to talk about, you know, the goals, the objectives, the tasks, the action items, you know, uh, going through, you know, the deals, the, you know, the, pro you know, all this business stuff, right? Right. Um, it's been very few meetings that I've ever been in. Um, we're actually, then we're talking about, Hey guys, how, how does communication look like, you know, and then even revisiting that, you know, Hey, we all talked about, this is how communication looks really, you know, between us and from us and to us, how are we doing on that? Right. And just mm -hmm. open it up to the group to have a conversation and you know what you get, what you focus on. And if you want to, if you want to improve trust, you want to improve relationships and communication, which I believe is the absolute bedrock for performance, um, whether it's uh, just a happy, loving family, right, where mom and dad are this unified uh, force that's mentoring and working with their kids, and, and it just you know feels good. Uh, to the same thing with, with a work team, and I, you know I just love that thought of you know here's just some great questions that you, you know everybody out there listening can be asking. At home, we have a social covenant with our family. We've talked about these issues and how we resolve it. And when it when it happens, our our boys even hold each other accountable. Hey, you know, hey, buddy, that's you know we you know we agreed that you know we're not going to. 
talk that way to each other, right? And when your son calls your other son on something like that and the family's there, all of a sudden, you know what? Uh, they, they have a choice to make, either to apologize and take ownership of it, right? <laughs> or, get, yeah. or, or get corrected by the, <laughs> the rest of their family. But it's all positive versus before it would kind of turn into a, uh, a conflict, Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is not my quote, but uh, I found it a while back and I've held on to it. Uh, people don't act on what you communicate. They act on what they think you communicate. Mm. <laughs> it's amazing in our busy sort of multitasking, crazy paced worlds. Uh, I can walk into the house and Leslie will say something and I'll assume that I thought I heard what she said. And rather than asking her to repeat it as if it might you know, expose me as, uh, you know, yep, I was being uh, totally in another place, uh, you know, which is, I should have done. I'll just act on what I thought she communicated. And then she's like, what is that about? You know, so then, you know, again, the, the communication disconnect, the conflict, the other, the things that often come up are, uh, they're crazy. They're, they really are. Yeah, well, you know, uh, Patty, as, as we kind of wrap up, um, you know, and people, if you want to get in touch with Patty, his website is the number four marketplace solutions.org. Uh, what are just some final thoughts you'd like to leave with everybody here who've been just listening in on this? Yeah, uh, you know, one of the most powerful forms of communication that has uh, impacted me as an individual, uh, a man, a husband, uh, a father, uh, and now a grandfather is, uh, affirmation. Uh, I, uh, grew up in, uh, an environment as I shared at the beginning of the podcast, um, with a, a father that just was unfamiliar with communicating in that way. And as a young boy, I was literally longing for affirmation from my dad and it it was never put on the table. You know, sometimes it's it's not what we say, uh it's not how we say it, it's when we, you know, it's it's communication has so many different dynamics associated with it that if we're not uh intentionally cultivating it and seeing others and being present so that we can communicate what they really need. Wow, we can miss opportunities upon opportunities because they're there every day. So back to this affirmation thing. Affirmation is when you say something positive about someone directly to them. Uh, John, I was 35 years old when I got my first affirmation from my dad. Wow. But that was a watershed moment for me. And that moment when my dad uh, looked at me and he said, Patrick, uh, I'm so proud of you. I love you. You're the man I always wished I could be. Mm. I, I literally burst into tears. I said, wow, I've been waiting to hear those words my entire life. And when they happened, when they were spoken, when my dad communicated that to me, which I know for him was 
awkwardly <laughs> uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we were in a setting where it was facilitated and he went there. The fact that he went there and actually did it for me was a shift. It was a paradigm shift. It was a personal shift. It was a watershed moment that um, uh, changed my trajectory. And so I'll leave this with the listeners. Um, The most important communication you might make today are affirming words, are words that positively shift where someone is in their own world in order for them to see things differently than they ever thought possible. So final story here. I'm in the Costco line and as we're in line you know generally speaking costco uh workers are up they're 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 usually you know pretty positive you can feel the energy from these folks but this particular guy i think it was his name was darren i could tell he was having a bad day and uh it was all work he must have been coming close to the end of his shift or something and we were checking out our uh products and everything and uh he was he was snarky (laughs) and so now i've got a choice a responsibility choice am i gonna sort of feed into the snarkiness or am i gonna help to shift the environment so i looked at him and i said darren tell me something good brother and he he started laughing he said what i said tell me something good man and uh he goes I'm almost out of here. 30 more minutes. I go, good stuff, man. Well, what else you got? Well, you could you could tell the fact that I recognized him and actually asked him about his day and just shifted where his head was at in that moment. His countenance changed. His body language started to send a completely different message. You know when someone needs a word. You know when someone needs that injection of hope. And our world needs hope now more than it than in the history of its existence and that would be my word to everybody listening bring some hope to someone today oh patty that was awesome brother man thank you for sharing thank you for your time we need to definitely have you back on there's so much more uh we could talk about we could continue this conversation for another hour um man just thank you for who you are and what you do what you've sown into uh, my life my marriage my business uh just who i am you're you're just a, a special man and a blessing to everybody who knows you my friend thank you john thank you i really appreciate the opportunity today it was great stuff